Welcome, one and all, to Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek Discovery podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me still is the 1999 version of Pete. What's in your Y2K preparedness kit, Pete? Is this where I get to say I was born ready? Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 413, the season four finale, Coming Home, comes to you now via Presto Changeo button. Pete, busy times here in 2022. In the last week, the first trailer for Strange New Worlds officially dropped. And I have to say, Pete, uh, my wife happened to be in the room as I watched it. And uh, she said, when the trailer was done, she said, I don't really like that Star Trek stuff, but I think I'd watch that show. Pete, game recognizes game. I know why she said that. Mr. Anson Mount, and I'm okay with that. There you go. And I look forward to yet another listener to the coming soon Strange New Worlds, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek. We did. I will take the hit on this one, Matt. Uh, promise a uh podcast episode about the trailer uh this past week and then we had the new new news about who's joining for season two we will still be bringing you that uh my fault on not uh coming together for that this week not at all it's it's been busy times in life in general so uh hopefully everybody understands and uh certainly pete we will uh we will be diving on into uh, what we expect for Strange New World Season 1 and uh, what uh, a recent Toronto person has helped us uh, anticipate for Strange New World Season 2. Uh, Pete, adding to the world of Star Trek here, we of course had a new Picard episode this week and I look forward to podcasting that tomorrow. Up to episode 3 already, Matt. Before we know it, we'll be doing back-to-back episodes the same week with the Picard Season 2 finale and the Strange New Worlds premiere. Yes, bring it on. That's that's going to be our golden hours there, where we'll also have the season finale of Moon Knight and the premiere of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. So bring it on, bring it all on. And uh, Pete, speaking of Moon Knight, we'll be previewing that series in the near future as well. So uh, that'll be, of course, simulcast on our pop culture podcast feed as we uh, as we also break ground on a Moon Knight uh, podcast feed as well. So busy times, busy, busy times. And of course, our Discovery Season 4 wrap coming to you a week from today, Saturday, March 26th. I think with all of that underway now, Pete, we can officially head into this week's mission briefing. The Spire-like Federation headquarters streaks through warp as Sylvia Tilly explains that each deck is able to function independently as lifeboats to her Starfleet cadets in the midst of an evacuation mission. She tells them they're no longer cadets and that they're ready. She brings Garev and Haral with her as they transport elsewhere. Federation HQ exits warp and flies past a heavily populated moon where it's joined by shuttles and soon other Starfleet vessels as it takes up orbital position and starts filling its deck with Earth evacuees. Deck 29 detaches and warps away to the rendezvous point. 
Admiral Vance is apprised. Navarre has 17 ships headed to the evacuation coordinates, but he knows Navarre only has a total of 86 warp-capable ships. The story clock is set to four hours. That's until uh, guaranteed gloom and doom. Uh, the, the Vance noting that the plan is to stick with the plan uh, to evacuate as many people as possible. There is the hope that the Mitchell will come to get more refugees. That's the USS Mitchell, of course. The USS Kenneth Mitchell, Matt, the cameo has finally come to pass. Pete, Kenneth Mitchell's presence in any form, always welcome uh, as part of the Star Trek family here. Uh, Haral does ask how many people will be able to be saved. The answer is 450,000 at best. Uh, please hurry, Michael. It is kind of said into the into the ether. With that, we cut to Discovery, where there's nothing much yet. They are stuck in the mud, uh, and the 10C are sending an orb after Book's ship. Uh, Stamets uh, gives news that he's uh, working faster, and Burnham says that we're going to get all the diplomatic folks to the mess hall in a story moment where I was like, but wait, but why? Have I missed something? Uh, she notes that they're all going to be confined to quarters, and that's when it's like, oh, She's already figured out a series of events, not even figured out like in the in-between space, uh, in-between episodes where the story goes on. No, her mind has figured out that the plasma leak ha is a result of an information leak and so forth. Uh, we cut to Book's ship where uh, Book is not going to help Tarka find the presto change -o button, which of course would let the ship change its shape and uh, perhaps slow the orb that's chasing it. Uh, Book admits to having been blind to the threat of Tarka. Uh, we get Tarka restating kind of his his end goal, go home, find Oros. And Tarka is still convinced that he's doing the right thing, even as the ship finally does twist and turn, courtesy of that presto change button. The uh, discussion here between Book and Reno trapped behind a force field uh, is that Book believes there is a way for them to break out. If only Reno had some hot and sour soup, psych, not because she would use it, just because she's hungry. Um, she says, however, the upside is when they hit the hyperfield, they will be vaporized immediately. She hates pain. And Book picks up some sort of device we're not completely clear on the function of yet. We go back to Discovery, where Burnham indeed has intuited that the uh, plasma leak was an inside job. Rilak is not too sure, uh, but in due course, Ndoye admits that it was her. She took action, uh, and the DMA can be stopped, right? Uh, actually, it turns out that aggressive action is not working, uh, and indeed, communication with the 10C was working. Uh, Ndoye is taken to quarters while under arrest. Uh, but wait, there's a 10C answer coming in. It's bewildering. Disco had been asking that they be freed from the orb, and the 10C said that they're already free uh, from it. Uh, they may assume that Tarka and Book are part of the Discovery team. Uh, of course, the two ships did arrive linked together. Uh, our heroes need to communicate quickly with the 10C. Tarina offers a telepathic link. It may be dangerous, but she'll try. She reaches out to the window, Great use, I won't even say kind of of a pared down 
effect or that sort of thing. Just the fact that the lights outside the window change or the lighting of our mm-hmm. TV show changes and you see it kind of, you know, coming in through the window and whatnot. It's a really powerful visual. She's made contact. She looks stunned. She's seeing visions of the others. She's told as the sound starts to fade out, break the link, uh, even as her nose starts to bleed green, which of course, Pete, that's always TV code for a trouble, a happening. She staggers back and reveals that they are confused and terrified, those 10C. Uh, they cannot stop Bookship and they don't trust Disco. Pete, it's just getting worse. And they have uh, to find another way to reach them. After the title card here in Sick Bay, Tarina hazily opens her eyes to catch Dr. Pollard reporting her heart rate is still elevated, but her neural activity is beginning to return to normal as a concerned Saru looks on. Tarina tells them the experience was unusual in that she was not connected to one member of Species 10C, but seemingly to all of them. Not a hive mind like the Borg. They're on a different show. Uh, And she believes they may not have awareness of individual existence. Stamets summons Burnham that he may have a way out of the orb and Rillick uh, beams out with her. Dr. Culber encourages Pollard to leave so that Saru may have a moment with Tarina. Uh, and indeed, Pete, he has that one-on-one mentioning how he too has avoided a certain type of closeness. Oh my. But he believes that uh, those limits do not protect him as much as dulling the brightness of his days. Pete, this is a wonderful line written by Michelle Paradise uh, in a great script overall. But the, I mean, what a what a powerful idea there that uh, you know he has been dulling the brightness of his days. We go back to Book's ship where Tarka has found the power source. He's 15 minutes away from a perfect fix. All while Book fiddles with that bracelet device. Tarka says that in the other reality, don't forget, Quajon will be there. Uh, Everyone who you know will be back there. Reno notes that any copy universe uh, indeed may have similar people, but it's not our people that that we are looking for. Uh, Book ultimately tips the scale in this debate. Those that are lost are gone, and won't Tarka do something to stop the madness? Tarka says uh, that it will all be over soon. Uh, Book believes that Reno is right here, that it's not their individuals, Kaim, Lido, her wife on the other side, just doppelgangers. Stamets and Adira brief Burnham and Rillick on their plan to use the spore drive to break them out of the orb. The problem, however, is that it will burn it out in the process and they won't be able to repair it without space dock, meaning they have to warp home which could take decades. Relic nods and Burnham approves the plan. While watching this episode for the first time, this bit of story really caught my ear. Obviously, Pete, we don't need to theorize, you know, will they get home uh, since indeed they do by the end of the episode. But all of a sudden it was like, oh, my goodness, are we laying track for a Voyager type story Um, again, on first view, I think that was a very real possibility and it was, you know, it was, um, a powerful notion. 
Uh, we go back to book ship. Wait, what? what is book holding? Finally, we, we've had the hint. We've had the work on it. On the third time, we get the reveal. Uh, it is a cat collar that can disrupt hollow emitters. Um, and he's going to use it to create ultimately a cat door, which is their exit out of the, uh, the holographic force field confinement. Back we go to Discovery, where Stamets says that he's ready to jump. Dr. Harai says that they have been sent a help message. Burnham calls Black Alert. Uh, we see the ship splitting in the, you know, in the jump fashion. Minor hull breaches are happening everywhere. The orb is holding them tight, even as the EPS grid is about to overload. No, no, says Burnham. Keep, keep with it. It's our only hope here. Um, debris fires from uh, explosions on the bridge. Pete, hopefully no rocks. You know, eagle-eyed people know oftentimes in Star Trek consoles shoot rocks at people. Uh, we see the spore cube shattering. Uh, which, again, I was like, oh, no, we're fundamentally rebooting the show for next season. It's going to be Voyager uh, outside the energy fires. But Disco is free. Uh, Impulse is moving them. Warp and weapons still down. Uh, and as they exit the gas giant, Rilak wonders if this is redeemable. Book blindsides Tarka, knocking him out. But Reno can't get into the system, and they're down to 10 minutes. Cons are locked out as well. Book gives Reno his badge to beam back to Discovery with word for Burnham to do whatever she needs to stop them. Awoshkin reports there's a pattern interrupter in place and they can't get a lock on them unless they choose to leave. They can't use a tractor beam lest they destroy the hyperfield themselves. Rillick suggests they consult Ndoye and her knowledge of military tactics. We go back to the Federation headquarters ship. Uh, indeed, as my notes say, headquarters, the ship. Uh, gravity waves are on their way to, uh, to Earth. Uh, the camera work here is quite handheld. I don't know if this was a stylistic choice, a reshoot issue. I'm not saying, Pete, that it's bad or amateurish or sloppy. It's just a different, uh, a different palette of choices here. Uh, planetary shields are uh, raised, then Yoo-Hoo, it's the USS Mitchell here to help save the day. Uh, the priority is to get the Earth president off in time, and it's noted that headquarters is filling up fast as well. Tilly reports that Earth's president is still on the surface, assisting with the evacuation effort and won't leave until the last possible moment. Matt, that's what leaders do. They stay. On Discovery, uh, they wonder what if there was a targeted hit on uh, placed on Book's ship, like throwing a shuttle at them. Uh, it'll work, but it's a suicide mission. Uh, if only the story could offer up someone. It's said that they need to be a great pilot. The camera and other <laughs> eyes turn to Detmer. She's ready. I'm not. Pete, we've discussed, again, we obviously can, can you know, suspend... Uh, theories will detmer die since the episode has been concluded and whatnot but again within the moment i was thinking back to our prior conversations you know what deaths might the story ask for as penance and i was convinced oh it's curtains for mm -hmm. detmer uh then indoye speaks up uh pete i was definitely ready for indoye to pilot that mission uh yes i know she'll be okay in the end but indoye who's been fighting for 20 years to protect her people she's ready to keep doing it now and i was like Yes, redemption for Ndoye, life or death, just please, please keep sweet, sweet Detmer in her spot on the bridge. 
and they do just that. Credit to Michelle Paradise's script, uh, to the way that they write in these fake outs and to Olin Tandy on Sami's direction here to selling them because each of them, as we go and you've seen this episode as we're podcasting it, you really do believe, oh my God, they're going to sacrifice Detmer here. Okay. And it's not in an over the top way. Um, but it's in such a way that you buy into it and then whew, hand off to Ndoye. Not that we're any more glad to see her, but she's not a member of our crew. Okay. She gives her badge to Burnham as well as word to tell the president of Earth that she did her all. Federation HQ's bridge propulsion is down now and it's stuck. The credence is leaving, but the NOG is not yet at capacity and the USS Yelchin departs with a full boat. Vance orders all vessels to depart and says he will remain behind to provide cover fire. Tilly tells her cadets they did a great job as they beam aboard the Mitchell. She goes to activate her personal transporter but hesitates and stays with Vance. The nod here uh, to the USS Yelchin and to the late Anton Yelchin, that that really, that got me in the moment. Um, uh, you know, it's a lovely nod. Uh, a great actor taken far too soon by a, you know, by a, by a terrible and a freak accident. Um, and it was just, you know, amidst the larger issues uh, within the story and, and social commentary and whatnot, it was, it was really lovely to have that little moment there. Uh, for him also pete speaking of little moments you had mentioned tilly reaching for the badge then not pulling the trigger there that also a nice moment perhaps of uh of different resonance um but just a just a great character moment here particularly pete I, i felt like in this episode i was somewhat conflicted like my feelings towards tilly my feelings towards Mary Wiseman, who, you know, had had requested to to have much less time involved with the show. And I was like, all right, I can still be a Tilly fan, even if I'm like, come on, keep keep Tilly around and all that. But um, everything working out. We go back to Book's ship. Uh, wake up, Tarka. Would Oros want all of this? Uh, Tarka is reminded that Oros is gone, likely dead. Uh, Book reflects on the pain of things being left behind. He says, in another great Michelle Paradise line, love always ends in grief, but it's the pain that needs to be dealt with. Tarka hugs Book. Uh, Oros would have tried to stop him too. Tarka might, might, uh, might indeed want to stop it now after all, but he has locked himself out with a recursive fractal encryption. Uh, all of a sudden, then there's a proximity alert. It's in Doya's shuttle. Uh, she's almost there. Uh, there's the hope that Rilak will save their home. Book and Tarka watch the shuttle come in. Uh, we have the uh, the uh, contact made, explosion, and confirmation that the hyperfield is saved. Diada in Doye is uh, beamed out there back to sick bay. So not having made the sacrifice but done the piloting. There's st- still two life signs on book ship with 90 seconds remaining until they crash into the hyperfield. Tarka says they don't have enough power to beam to Discovery. And he terminates life support so he can transport Book 
because Burnham is still in their universe and his belongs to Kylie's or a place beyond it. Maybe the energy from the impact into the hyperfield will be enough to get his uh, interdimensional transporter to work. But Book doesn't want to leave him to die. Tarka beams him out and picks up his transporter, pushing some buttons. Awoshikan picks up a faint transport signal on Book and attempts to beam him to the bridge. When his ship explodes, they did not get him. We see the reaction here for Burnham, obviously the grief, but there's little time for that. As Reese reports, there's another orb inbound. A a stunning acting moment here as we see Burnham processing the grief, the the personal moment, the duty to ship and to, you know, to her origin and to her people and to her species and her quadrant and all of that. Um, I mean, it's just one of the great Star Trek acting moments in 800 plus episodes and movies and so forth. Just that just difficult to put into words because it's, it's the craft of acting and the craft of emotion there. However, she's now getting ready to finish the mission, prepare to enter the orb. uh, She says, Story goes back to Starfleet headquarters. We see Tilly rocking and rolling under the uh, gravitational waves and so forth. Vance wonders if they shouldn't celebrate the fact that the ships have gotten away. He shares some whiskey with her. Tilly has programmed the dots to give them a little bit uh, more time. But how much time is left? Two hours is the answer. Uh, Vance uh, clicks uh, or clinks rather uh, drinks with her. Tilly was happy with her life, new friends and family, seeing and doing incredible things. She reflects on ditching a biology class to see a sunset with a boyfriend. Vance is grateful that she didn't ditch engineering. He wishes he fulfilled his life better for his daughter. And he thinks back about the time not taken. Uh, But she, of course, knows that he loves her. Tilly reflects on life with her mother and knows that there was love there. Pete. Obviously, with end of episode eyes, you can look back at this scene and say, uh, use the phrase before, I don't think you were being negative about it, but uh, use the phrase kind of fake out. In the moment here, I'm buying the idea that Tilly and Vance uh, are going to die. And insofar as we can also say with with eyes from the end of this episode that that uh, this season finale is also kind of a season three, season four finale of sorts. This is all fitting. Do I think next season, every episode should be somebody is about to fake die? Goodbye, show. No, I'm back. No, you get to you get to do it here. You get to do it a lot. This is part of the Star Trek Discovery movie, if you will, this episode, this kind of in spirit. And uh, again, first view, I'm like, oh, man, I can't put Tilly and Vance both going to die. The feels. The story stakes sell it and the character moments cemented um you you feel that has tilly has vance completed their journey here they're recapping in the same way we believed it with book last week backstory equals coming fate uh so yeah the toilets might not flush anymore but they've bought earth some more time Discovery is being taken deeper into the gas giant where thousands of life signs are now gathered. 
Saru reports a new message asking how many are aboard Discovery and asking them to join them. And the 10C will send transport. Burnham orders the entire bridge crew to come. As an orb departs Discovery's shuttle bay toward the glowing alien surface where it deposits them. Stamets reports Saru's device will continue to beam hydrocarbons uh, to the orb's surface, but Zora will need to generate the light map. Culber joins him and Adira in engineering. After what happened with Book, he wants to be with his family. And Rillick tells the 10C, they are many but the same as the 10C in their priorities for young, for family, for security. Again, astonishing dialogue here from Michelle Paradise, who is tasked uh, not just with writing the episode, but, you know, tasked with the story arc for the episode, let alone, you know, show running the entire season and all of that. Uh very, very fine speech out of Rillick here, as you mentioned, Pete, how they seek happiness, freedom, security, equality. Uh, there's so much that unites us. I mean, it's it's a powerful moment. And of course, it's done with this story conceit of the whole diplomatic team, uh, as well as the Canadian bridge crew there. Um, I don't know that it makes military sense to have everybody there, but it makes story sense, uh, you know, from the bottom of from the bottom of the heart all deserve to be there particularly as you know one can assume they're filming this at the very very end of their filming of this incredibly challenging season um to get everybody there on the soundstage together uh it's worth it for the real world production it's worth it for the in-world story and all of that this message as you said pete is sent out by Rilak about about them being unified uh, a reply comes back from the 10C. Uh, they're asking about Book and Tarka's action. Uh, it's said that they were connected to us uh, once, part of the whole, then separated. Why? One of them had someone, his one, uh, and he was trying to find that one. The other, Book, uh, had his planet destroyed by the 10C, and he did not want anyone else to experience that. Uh, the question comes back from the 10C, is that why you're here? Yes, says Relak. Uh, so that the loss will not happen again. Burnham adds that we are feeling pain and fear. Please stop so that billions may live. Do not let history repeat. Uh, and I like that, you know, because there's obviously these, these pauses for translation to go back and forth. Uh, Pete, it's the season finale of a Star Trek season. I don't think we're going to deal with the destruction of the the universe as we know it. I think the show has taken it as far as it can go. And when we see Saru look at the reply and smile, that's when we know everything's going to be okay. We're about to hear the words. We're about to see the evidence. It's okay to let it lead with Saru smiling before we get uh, everything that follows. It is. And, you know, we had talked about how this first contact would go. And I think, again, they've done this in the most Star Trekian, if I can use that as an adjective, way. Um, and with this crew to be present, to make use of the new technology of the LED wall to be able to do this, it's a callback to the home world that had been destroyed. 
um, and hits all the emotional beats, the cerebral science fiction of how do you communicate with a species that doesn't view the nature of biology the same way. I mean, down to the point where they did not suspect they were higher life forms, and that's why they sent their, you know, boronite mining device to these planets because they thought they were microscopic bugs. Well said there. And uh, on screen, we have kind of a bunch of a uh, bunch of intercut moments we see from headquarters. The DMA has stopped. We have Saru giving the translation. They will move away. We see the energy field leaving Earth. Uh, we have uh, Reno sending a message to Stamets and Engineering. She's already making a, a cocktail bobcat. It's noted that that's a good nickname for Stamets. We go back to the 10C planet where they feel Burnham's pain, but they do not understand it. All the ones are safe now, are they not? Burnham, in an elegant moment of writing, is personifying the, the, the loss that, the, that all are feeling, that all have felt throughout, throughout this process. She has loved Book deeply as he was her one. With that, light shimmers. We hear the transporter sound effect. Book is returned. Um, we see the astonished gasps of everyone. Pete, initially, it might have been some story blarney here. Um, I think there's an argument to be made that perhaps the loss should have remained. However, the power of these two characters being reunited, that's what comes through on screen. Not the writerly return of a character, but an ethereal preponderance of a character made real on the screen. And the relief in another location of Culber, who had believed he had ultimately failed book and taken that further on his conscience on his journey um, that is is fixed here. Uh, book asks to talk to the 10 C who explained they had interrupted his transporter uh, signal and held it in stasis, presuming its importance based on its timing. Uh, they did not realize, as I said before, that um, the alpha and beta quadrant life forms they were disturbing were higher life forms. And they say now they will scan before they deploy their device and only operate in an uninhabited space. But for Book, having suffered the loss of his home world, he says it's not enough. They have to shut it off for good. And Saru translates uh, a message back from the 10 C that they will no longer be able to power the hyperfield if they do. But he tells them they're all connected uh, using the Quajon world route as an example, and that they can't hide behind walls. He lights up his forehead and the 10 C return the gesture and acknowledgement and they vow to make it right wait until the people who don't watch star trek discovery find out that they're upset that book says hiding behind a wall will not keep you safe uh a powerful line there again from ms paradise uh and if ever there was a time to you know cut to the quick of it and to not get caught up in giant extra galactic uh space whale creatures and just say the message that star trek wants to discuss now about our world this is the time to do it uh we have book 
talking through all of this about uh, how those who have been lost must be honored because they were beloved and beautiful, he starts to uh, light up on his forehead with uh, telepathic communion there, and it, it, it appears that they are receiving it. There's a similar pattern on what we can see of the 10C. Uh, there's a pause, then a new message comes in. The 10 have caused great harm and are filled with regret and sorrow and will make it right. Uh, with that, we get a fade out. We go back to the headquarters ship. Uh, looks like Discovery has done it. Vance lives. Tilly too. So success all around. Uh, we go back to Discovery where the ship is standing down from Red Alert. Uh, the hyperfield is dropped. Uh, however, they're going to use the DMA wormhole. And I was like, oh, right. The DMA has a wormhole. I must confess, Pete, I had forgotten about that. The wormhole's coming their way one last time to send the ship home. Uh, and we get lights flashing and a fade to white. As Discovery arrives over Earth sometime later uh, at Federation HQ, celebration is underway in the lounge where Tilly and Vance join them. Saru joins Tarina at the expositional view screen where ultimately she takes his hand. Matt, this is not a real window. It's probably not even glass because I know if there was glass on it, that'd be fogged up. Pete, when a man and a woman or a man and a man or a woman and a woman or two non-binary people or maybe more than two, whatever works for you, but when a Saru and a Tarina. Kelpian and a Navarian. Indeed, when they go to the watching window um, and there's the, the holding of hands, I mean, this is, this is, this is just, let's just say, Pete, good times ahead for them behind closed doors. We, I, I think, I think we could say that. They're going to uh, go, and that's not a metaphor. <laughs> um, we go to Burnham's ready room where Rillac uh, arrives and they reflect on the 10C. There's still so much to learn about the one small corner of the universe that the Federation inhabits. Rillac's family is safe and the president and Burnham have come a long way too. When they first spoke, uh, it was about the captaincy of the new Voyager. Uh, Rillac says that Burnham is ready for that now. I was like, no, 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 she's not. Uh, Burnham, of course, reaffirms that she wouldn't take it. It was like, okay, good. Thank goodness. Uh, so what happens with Book? It's noted that he violated multiple statutes, uh, but reasons do matter. And that's why justice is just. Pete, where has Michelle Paradise been all this time where she's not writing dialogue all the time for everything? Because these lines are just wonderful. Because somebody has to run the show. In their quarters here, a book tells Burnham that the Federation is sending him to help families displaced by the DMA, and he doesn't know for how long. He'll miss his ship. Never got a name, Matt, even though we gave it a couple. And he apologizes to her. She doesn't know how to say goodbye, and he says, they say, Quakoni Yaquan. Equation term used only amongst hunters with the tightest of bonds that roughly translates to we've parted a hundred times. May we rejoin a hundred more. He beams out, but not before giving her his courier coat. Pete, 
I must confess, if you if you transplant me to the 32nd century to be on a on a jury for book, I might be inclined to vote for uh, for prison time or something more punitive. But it's a Star Trek lesson to remind us that maybe justice is not about society getting revenge, uh, but instead is about making things right. And the notion here that a contrite book will spend his time uh, making things right for others, helping others. Um, it's it, it's not the forefront of lessons that we get in this episode, but I think it's, it's an important distinction here uh, and, and a credit to Star Trek not sending not sending him straight to prison. Uh, Burnham says that she loves him, by the way. He knew it back on Tiburon. There was the beautiful pink snow, and she was shivering. He looked at her and uh, wondered what he would do. Um, would that be, he, when he beams out, I guess it's because his five minutes are up and there's no leniency from, you know, Starfleet security guy who is his exor, uh, his escort. Um, with that, there's more time for reflection. It's hard to believe it's over the uncertainty, the fear, but we made it. Subspace rifts are showing that the 10 C are indeed cleaning up. The effort was worth it. Uh, Burnham says they much needed break will be here soon. Uh, the, uh, the disco Canadians, Stamets and Colbert, they, they will all get to go home. Uh, some will strengthen relationships like Vance and his family and others like Saru and Tarina will build new relationships. Um, and it, it's, it's just, it, it's a wonderful moment here indeed, as it's confirmed for us that book is headed to Europa as his first spot. Interesting Pete that Burnham says she doesn't know when she'll see him again, but she will, uh, She's that. What's that? She'll see him in season five. Well, yeah, but I feel like, the, I mean, we can talk about this properly in theories, I suppose, but the story at this moment seems a little less definite, which I just thought was interesting. Um, Discovery came to this time with the Federation divided, but the Burn and the DMA have shown that they are all connected so long as they do it together. Uh, another Star Trek lesson. And again, Pete, as mentioned before, a rare notion that this is a season three, season four uh, finale, as much as it is the end of, uh, of season four. As book leaves in his shuttle for Europa, an earth vessel enters Federation HQ. Burnham via voiceover here explains that Andoria is in talks to return to the Federation as they greet the president of United Earth with full diplomatic honors. The shuttle door opens and it's Georgia gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams. Indeed. I mean, great to see this Star Trek fan, this person who has contributed to our democracy and uh, who will continue to contribute to our nation. Great to see her here. Um, she says Earth is ready right now to rejoin the Federation. Thank you to all who uh, to have helped uh, accomplish what you have. Um, uh, Indoye, perhaps this can be your last close call, by the way. Um, and Pete, I will say this. Stacey Abrams, her vocation, her calling is not to be an actress. I was she surprised. She did study at a performing arts high school. Well, I'm not surprised to hear that. She is better than many a non-actor who's put in front of the screen and, frankly, who's given I, – I think she's given the amount of lines that she is because she's able to handle it. Again, that, I, I don't mean that to be dismissive in any way, 
Um, clearly, she's a great speaker in our world and, and, a, and a great leader, and I suspect has has bigger and bigger and greater things ahead of her in the the years to come. Um, this is a well earned reward for a Star Trek fan and for someone who, in the real world, embodies uh, the Star Trek sense of duty and helping others and leadership. And I think for a cameo to have the gravitas here, I know when the shuttle door opened at, you know, 3.55 a.m. Eastern time, I let out an audible gasp um, to to bridge. This was somebody who had hosted um, one of the virtual panels uh, at a time when we had them going on within the Star Trek universe. This is a super fan, did some of the Trek the Vote uh, stuff. And to make this cameo happen, I mean, she's become close with um, Wilson Cruz. They had reached out via her people and then made this all come together. She talked in a little featurette that she might be pocketing her United Earth uh, comm badge as she was leaving the set. Uh, and by all accounts, she really rehearsed her lines and came ready to go. Um, she talks with Rillick here. Uh, and obviously that discussion about moving United Earth back into agreement with the uh, United Federation of Planets and then asks to have a word with Burnham about the work they still have to do. Indeed, uh, the voyage continues, the search for connection and tomorrow. Uh, are you ready for more work? Burnham is. She says, let's get to it, as the camera pulls back, showing the fleet, the Earth, and beyond. In a postscript, there is a note for April with love. Uh, the April is April uh, Nosifora, who was uh, the head of the post-production department, um, passed away in December. She had been uh, dealing with uh, cancer um, and had been a supervisor for uh, Star Trek Short Treks and for Star Trek Picard. Pete, we have a tactical analysis of this week's threats. Uh, let's start with Tarka. A pair of season-long foes here, both put down, put away. Tarka, I mean, we attempted to do everything to give him that sympathetic backstory of his friend Oros, and he just wants to go home to a place he's never actually been that is theoretical that he may or may not have gone to as Book's ship was sent into the hyperfield, perhaps giving enough energy to the interdimensional transporter they had made. I do think that Tarka can be on the list, maybe not at the top or the top half, but he can be on the list of some of the great Star Trek villains, and it's rare for us to really have a sense of sympathy for a villain, uh, particularly in Star Trek. 
Um, I think for as open-minded as Star Trek oftentimes is about most things, it's also awful easy to be like, and the Borg are so othery and so so unlike us that we could just you know paint them all with the same brush since they're all one big collective and things of that sort. To give Tarka this backstory, to give him this season-long arc, you know, it, we can understand his motivations even if we don't agree with where they ended up. Um, and I guess you know, it, Pete. In theories, we can we can wonder whether he made it or not. Uh, but certainly, the other threat in this episode, uh, which also gets resolved, is that of the DMA. Um, I like that it also took the season for it to kind of slowly unfurl as, you know, an environmental uh, representative, an environmental metaphor, and uh, the notion that not not just stopping was enough, that that cleanup was required as well. I think they turned it into one. Remember, this was sold initially as a natural phenomenon, and then we find out it's made by someone, so now it's artificial. And then I think we retcon on top of that, this idea here that, well, they didn't think they were doing any damage, though it was ecological in nature. And and remember, too, that this is all metaphor sprung from the pandemic and the the big theme of uncertainty. And what do you do in the face of such a threat? Um, books impassioned plea there that the Tennessee needed to do more than just send it elsewhere and to drop their hyperfield. And in a day and age of really ultra nationalism, where we've seen country after country talk about, you know, avoiding the other and only worrying about their own and the interconnectedness of all people across borders. I think that this threat really in a metaphorical sense speaks to our world right now um, and, and did a damn fine uh, job in doing so. There's a lot of parallels, obviously, between season four of Star Trek Discovery and season three of Star Trek Enterprise, what with the expanse uh, plot there, the um, the area of space that they went into with the um, Zindi. But whereas that was a reaction to 9-11 and the xenophobia there, this again, you know, much more unique to our time. Now let's use our long-range sensors to scan for theories. Pete, did Tarka make it, A, within the, you know, within the uh, confines of the story, and B, does he deserve to have made it in terms of the confines of the drama? I'm going to tell you that that's not on my list of theories. I'm going to tell you why. Because if he didn't, then Oros just blew up whatever happened to him and... He's not there. The idea that in alternate universes, there are versions of everyone except uh, if they died over there but didn't die over here uh, or if they have goatees or not. Uh, who knows? 
Uh, I think that Tarka died. That's what I can deal with. There's a read on the scene with him tapping the hollow buttons on the interdimensional transporter where he may have deactivated it. Um, I think I like, let me this way in an episode that does not ask for much. It does not ask for many pounds of story flesh in that book comes back until he lives and Vance lives and so forth with it being a constructed fictional narrative, somebody has to pay. And I feel like Tarka is the best candidate to do so. Um, and you know, I, I'm certainly not saying such conclusions should be reached in the real world and that, you know, Tarka's right to accept death or off himself and, and, and so forth. I'm not trying to have any carryover to the real world, as I said, but I think that to me, that story justice. And I like that explanation. Uh, I like that explanation. Certainly. Pete, do we have a do we have in this episode the jumping off point for Tilly being the the, the backbone of the increasingly probable uh, Starfleet Academy series, or 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 not, or is that maybe going to be you know the show is almost certainly coming? Is it coming from this point in the timeline or or another one? I don't know. I I think Discovery is poor for not having uh, Mary Wiseman on the show. I think it was a different show after she left. I was super happy to see her back for the finale here. And I, I think that presence is felt. I think taking her away from discovery would be a mistake. Could you continue to drop in on her? And she is shepherding cadets and could replenish both discovery and other ships with uh officers i think there's a pathway for that we know that discovery is coming back for season five a 10 episode order 10 is the new 13 um there's got to be space there now that star trek picard is in post-production for its run now they have an opening for a fifth series is section 31 gonna finally move forward as was promised i mean they named showrunners they they have a star um they were preparing to cast as the pandemic hit and then it was well we don't want to have more than five going right now and and prodigy filled took up that space um so we're just gonna have to see i have no definitive uh feeling so earlier you indicated that you're sure book will be back next season i would agree that the story leaves that open but i would like to focus on the fact that it is so open-ended i mean i know that we've kind of joked slash not joked about like and book will now serve his six-month sentence and next season of Discovery will take place six months later. Um, so story punishment is completely off screen. It, it struck me as surprising, this kind of, I don't know when I will see him again, but I will. To me, that feels a whole lot less definite. And, and I don't know. I mean, certainly there has not been buzz like David Ajala wants out or David Ajala wants more time home after living in 
you know, in, in quasi lockdown uh, confines, as did everyone during the making of this season. Like there's, there's been none of that buzz, but it, to me, it was just conspicuous that they were committing to his freedom, but not committing to him. What being a regular part of the show next season. So what do you figure of all of that out of all of I, that? I don't think he'll be a regular. I think we'll see him again. I don't think he's, he's being written out. Um, you know, just not on the, the regular sense. Um, but I do believe that he'll be back. Uh, Pete, how far can the Saru and Tarina romance go? And what does that look like next season? Particularly if we, if we do have some sort of Pete, I'll say time jump. I don't mean through the red angel mechanism and centuries ahead. I'm just saying, you know, the, the next episode of Discovery 501 could take place the day after this one or it could take place six months or a year afterwards. Where's that relationship going to be at? What if they pick up at their wedding? Um, I'm okay with that, except for the fact that I've listened to our Picard uh, podcast where you've proposed wedding bells uh, could could happen in either the current season or the next season. Um. So I think, let me this way, Pete, if we're going to get a Star Trek wedding uh, in the next 18 months, I'd rather save it for Picard, uh, the, the the series, as opposed to Discovery. But Pete, love is everywhere. Can't we have both? I mean, we'll just have to settle for the torrid saru Tarina romance then. Uh, I'm okay with that. I think, look, I I think that there's a way to make it still paramount plus appropriate but to kind of acknowledge that uh these two adults are feeling the feels on many levels you know pete ponfar happens to us all uh so it'll be it'll be interesting uh to see how all that unfolds pete what theories do you have in this slightly strange story point where we have we have concluded multiple arcs of the episode of the season and of the last two seasons uh, but we're not quite looking too far into the future so what other theories do you have I mean, we've had the chapter before the time jump. We've had the chapter after really two halves now. I'm interested to see where they could go. We'd been promised a Kenneth Mitchell cameo this season. And I think just ingenious to name the one Starfleet vessel, the USS Mitchell. So he did get a shout out. Um, obviously the performer suffering from ALS to the point where he can no longer speak, um, bound in a wheelchair. So, uh, I thought that perhaps after last week, are we going to find out that he was doing some form of motion capture or he was a stand in for the, the 10 C. Um, but here again, being cemented like the USS Yelchin like the nog i mean obviously someone who's still thank goodness with us but this horrible deteriorating disease to the point where he's lost the ability to speak um and and getting the the praise and the love from the writers and the producers to have something named after him on screen yeah this was not the cameo i had hoped for um but i think that's i i think it's the best acknowledgement that we could get again particularly recognizing not only his infirmity but the fact that this season was filmed uh during 
you know, COVID conditions, particularly uh, the vaccination or vaccine access was not as fast in Canada as it was in this country. So um, probably best for Kenneth Mitchell to have not to have not, um, you know, been on set and been at any uh, undue risk and put his put his body in in uh, any further stress and so forth. Uh, we have from Kenneth Mitchell the the on-screen appearances that he's made. We have the voice appearances that he's made for Lower Decks, and we get this acknowledgement here in the USS Mitchell. Uh, and I think that we are all better for his presence uh, as it has been in these many shows. The spore drive cube shattered here, Matt, an opportunity for at least a new portion of an existing set for season five. Uh, yes, I suppose. Would I be terribly shocked if, um, you know, they just put up new plexiglass for next season? I, I wouldn't be surprised. I also feel like we have normalized, we the show, the show has normalized the spore drive to a point where, you know, we don't even, we don't even have the, 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 the conceit, the drama of, you know, can Stamets get in the cube in time? It'll just be like, no, hey, we're planning a, a, a black alert. So you're in engineering. So black alert, let's go. Um, whether it's a major redress or whether they're just saying, we don't need this space anymore. We want to build something new here. We want to use the set differently and so forth. You know, the, the novelty of the spore drive um, has, has certainly passed. Um, and, and so I'm okay with whatever changes they have ahead for the future. RIP books ship, Matt, you would call it the centennial bird. My name was the Eon Eagle. Could we get a replacement? I think we get a replacement proportional to his return. Uh, if he's going to show up in two episodes out of 10, uh, and if this is a jam-packed 10 episode season, uh, fifth season, by which when I say jam-packed, I mean, if, if in the process of, of converting to thinking about 10 episodes, they're like, Oh my goodness, we had 11 and a half, uh, episodes worth of stuff and it's all jam-packed now and it's go 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 uh and we want to hit you know the the detmer relationship and the this and the that and we want to introduce new people and there's only time for a half hour of book in the tire in the entire 10 episode thing all right maybe book shows up via the uss voyager j or they meet on a planet um the 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 single room set that was his ship was lush it was probably in retrospect used way more than we think um and and you know just as a constant you know i, I would be interested to see how many minutes was was his was his ship interior shown on screen versus like the bridge because it's probably way more close than we think yeah um if we're Super now saying functional yeah uh, really interesting space with the the wood against the tech i i'm gonna miss it and i'm gonna miss the way they used it yeah it was a it was a swing space it also you know it was a place where when you needed kind of you know in star trek's past you've needed the the runabout the captain's yacht the delta flyer like it kind of filled that you know tactical small tactical craft 
the small spy craft that kind of has filled that in the story space. So I guess, Pete, from that perspective, we can wonder, do they need to come up with something to replace that need? And, and what might that look like, particularly since you can like, look over at stage eight, we used to have books shipped there. Now we don't. Uh, what what new set will we use? Um, hopefully they come up with something that's equally fantastic. And then when we talk about the fake outs for this episode, whether it was Detmer, Doye, Book, Tilly, um, you know, what this could all mean going forward uh, with the ability to at least pull at our heartstrings, whether they would make it to the end of the episode, whether they would stick around, that the only one we gave up was Tarka, and I think the one we'd really vote off the island if it came down to it. Mention here at the end of the episode to both Bryce and Kovic, who could not make the trip to the hyperfield. They were working on something secret and urgent. Is this the source of our fifth season? Um, I think that would be a very rewarding source of the fifth season. Uh, my mind immediately goes to uh, to some of the real world reasons why both actors might not have been in there. We talked about the one uh, having a, a Canadian based series uh, that's also on BET Plus. Got a movie this, too, didn't he? Um, I did a movie as well. Yeah, Cronenberg uh, had uh, had work on uh, on a movie as well, heating up at the point in the summer where this season was, where, where this episode was shot, where the season was wrapping up, and so forth. So. I don't know to what degree the writing, the writing to their on-screen exit and their off-screen mission. I don't know how much of that was. Hey, here's my firm end date when I need an out, and they kind of wrote to the end date and then no more. I do like, really, really like the notion that, um, just as we can now look back at the end of this episode and go, oh, Burnham has intoned the the burn and the DMA as an arc. I like that we have an arc started by those two unseen. We just don't see the arc yet until they show up and go, you know, Burnham, it's all about your kids. We need to go back to the future or whatever it might be. And then no Cray in the season four finale here. I was kind of surprised, you know, no reunion in the lounge there with Adira. This is a character we're not done with taking the guardian training on trail. Um, but kind of disappointed we didn't, it's a tough story situation. A lot of masters to serve at the end of a season, but that we didn't get back to that character. If it was a logistics thing, I mean, you still had Mary Wiseman. I think this was still a point where, uh, people coming from outside the country needed to quarantine for two weeks before proceeding. So if if you did that for Mary Wiseman, you could do that for Ian Alexander. Um, I, you know, I hope nobody got bogged down with like, well, he's a trill and like, you know, it, it, he couldn't come to Earth in time to celebrate. Like, you know, we had we had the lowliest of bridge officers show at the big ten C, you know, curtain call. It's a, it raises a good question, Pete. I know I have wondered on the podcast uh, in the last several weeks, like, does the show exactly know what to do with Adira now that they are 
you know, fully fledged officer and they're more independent and on their own and that sort of thing kind of was like, so, so how are you handling, you know, crowds? And it's like, it's cool. I can, I can party in the lounge when everybody's partying that we save the galaxy. Like, okay. Like, you know, uh, if you could do that for a deer, you could bring back gray and not quite sure why they did. I would have, even if it was just like without dialogue, I feel like it would have been worth flying in Alexander out and putting him up for two weeks in a hotel until he cleared quarantine and all of that. But, uh, but Pete, here's the good news. Surely we can hope to see him and all the rest in season five. With that, let's open Hailing Frequencies. Hailing Frequencies open, sir. We start, Pete, not with a Twitter poll, because look, some uh, some of the trolls were out there already. Oh no, Stacey Abrams makes me afraid. I must vote things and so forth. So no poll this week, just the opportunity for people to respond to this episode that had grace and meaning, inspiration, an age-old message that was still vital today. So the first uh, response comes from JT Adkins. It's that JTA is me. It's good to be home. A gigantic reset that leaves next season wide open. Not what I expected, but I'll take it. Let's include Tilly, the captain of the Starfleet, uh, the Starship Starfleet Academy next season. Uh, thanks, Star Trek on Paramount Plus, for another great season of Boldly Going. Pete, uh, look, J.T. Atkins loves Star Trek. He's been watching it with us for a long time. Probably, I suspect, probably whoever the intern is in charge of Star Trek on P Plus Twitter probably fell off their seat when they're like, wait, somebody's tweeting at us and they're not complaining? Wowee. <laughs> so he probably made their day as well. Uh, we heard next from James the Sagacious. That's at Big Kellen on Twitter. Uh, when I said that disco was comfort food, I had no idea it was going to be soul food slash Italian Thanksgiving feast. Stacey Abrams brings us all the way back to Trek the Vote. This art still matters. This culture matters. This fandom matters. Love y'all. Uh, at one of the Trek the Vote panels, Kate Mulgrew remarked that women are infinitely more interesting than men. Heavy paraphrase, James uh, notes. Star Trek Discovery proves that with great uh, proves that with great writing, acting, and direction. So lots of praise there from from James the Sagacious. And I uh, second everything that James says there. Next up, Andre Yeager. It's at Dr. Polo in 1983. I apologize for all my criticism for the slowness of the season. We needed it to get to this heartwarming and beautiful, uh, heartwarming end and beautiful message. Loved seeing Tilly again and her willingness to make the ultimate sacrifice books uh telepathy slash empathy with other entities was utilized well and finally president abrams was a nice bow added on to the end of the season i actually got misty a couple of times at the end of the episode great job next pete we hear from spider ham lincoln that's at tess lc 139 uh and he says this was a wonderfully satisfying and warm ending to a slow burn of a season I assume Tarka is dead, but he may have successfully transported to the other universe. So we could see him again someday. Welcome back, Tilly. She brightens every scene she's in, and her leadership with the cadets really shined. Burnham went through a lot of emotions, but ended with a smile. Nice nods with the USS Mitchell, USS Nog, USS Yelchin. And welcome to President Abrams of United Earth. Good finale with nice resolutions. Here's to season five. Pete, I will note that uh, Spider-Ham Lincoln uh, has sometimes disagreed with us on our on our takes of these episodes, uh, and I'm glad that he enjoyed this finale so much. Yeah, I mean, they have so many things to juggle, and I, I think 
this season of Star Trek Discovery particularly needs credit. They were one of the first back in production at the height of the pandemic um, pre-vaccine and to be able to accomplish what they did. And they were affected. They had to scale down. They did later have an outbreak. They did uh, shoots as late reshoots as late as September. Um, and the season started streaming in November. So, you know, just echoing all of that there, I think we need to evaluate through a different lens. And this was an accomplishment. Next, we hear from Rose Ferry. That's at Anna Rose 584. In spite of technical difficulties toward the end of the episode, I made it to the end. It was a fitting end to the season and almost seemed like they thought there would be no season five. The entire cast was amazing and the surprises were wonderful. Uh, next up, we hear from uh, the last tweeter or kind of last tweeter, a uh, single since Obama that's at uh, Kylie G328, who says, I definitely cried multiple times and screamed at the cameo. If telepathy was always on the table, why did Tarina wait so long to offer it? Also, that handhold was like Vulcan porn. I felt so naughty watching it. <laughs> My goodness. Um, I, 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 Pete, I would agree that uh, probably she little... She thinks they took it too pon far. Uh, oof. Uh, James and Sagacious had replied uh, to Kylie to say the random telepathy was my only critique. It felt forced. That's forced with a PH, Pete. Wouldn't they have uh, brought a couple of telepaths to try it uh, before all the other stuff? Uh, and then uh, Kylie replies, I mean, we had the whole episode about trying to communicate with them and it never came up once. Sure, it went poorly, but you think it would have been mentioned before the finale. Pete, I will agree with that criticism. I will I will temper my own thoughts on it, uh, as you said, kind of through the lens of this COVID-affected production. But I think, as we have said so many times before, we were one one line away, one one reshoot line away from saying, we dare not try telepathy, given there's all of the vomitron rays. <laughs> oh, wow, that sounds really scary, so we're not going to do it. So later on, when she does do it, they can say, well, wait, what about the raise? She'll say, ah, to communicate, it is worth the risk, which is the line they still have. So, again, they're one line away from making this debate go away, but I think it all debate with love. I didn't have a problem with it. It didn't break uh, the believability for me. Okay, we know that Vulcans can mind meld. We know that they have the ability to communicate telepathically. They did it as a last resort they needed to somehow communicate i th i think it bridged you know as as somebody who aspires to be a paid screenwriter i was watching you know up to this episode how are they going to work their way out of this and we talked last episode about you know sacrifices and things like that um this made sense to me all right let's let's let the Vulcan uh, attempt to mind meld with it. And what did it do? It, it yielded story fruit. They don't view individuality, the Tennessee, whereas they're all uh, in communion. Uh, Pete, we now have an email uh, from Stacy. That's uh, AKA Stingray, AKA Trek Girl 88 on Twitter. Uh, and Stacy has again sent thoughts on Discovery and Picard, so we'll save the Picard stuff for next time. 
Um, but Stacy says this. Hi, Matt and Pete. Phew, this week gave us a great season ender for Discovery, and the Picard story is really ramping up. On Discovery, this season finale was satisfying on every level. We got to see the 10C. There was tension. I was sure Vance and Tilly were goners. Tears, joy, reunions. I'm a sucker for reunions. So this one hit me in the feels at multiple points in the episode. I was so happy the book survived and that he and Michael are still together despite what happened. Sending book to aid in the rebuilding is a fair uh, resolution of his actions. Then Pete, Stacy adds, and the cherry on the Sunday, Stacy freaking Abrams as the president of United Earth, making Stacy's look good all the way into the 32nd century. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, well done there, if I may say, our Stacy, uh, as opposed to Stacy Abrams, who I think is also, in the larger sense, uh, our Stacy as part of the collective fandom. But uh, well done, Stacy, uh, aka Stingray, uh, for that connection there. Um, yeah, d- definitely, you can feel Stacy's joy coming through with that email. And now, Pete, the moment that we've all been waiting for. Let's hear from Admiral Fred in the Netherlands. Hello, Matt and Pete, and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Discovery Season 4, Episode 13, the Season 4 Finale. I gave this episode an 8 on IMDb, so that would be an A- minus or something. I think they did a nice job rounding up this story. It really felt like a series ending. But since the preparations for season 5 are obviously on their way, we will get probably a season 5. Although I gave this an A-, not necessary for me. I could live with the ending of the story here and get more focus on Strange New Worlds, for instance, and Picard. Picard, the rest of season 2 and season 3. And although I like the visuals and certain characters in Discovery, it's not my favorite Star Trek show. It was much better for me when Anson Mount and uh, Rebecca Romaine and Ethan Peck were there. So they will get their own series. I'm very much looking forward to that. Actually, I promise not to talk about it anymore, but this episode was also a little better for me because Sinequa Martin-Green's whisper mode was not so much there, because there was a lot of action and not so much one-to-one discussion, at least by her. By others, like Saru, there was. What I found a little strange is, or peculiar, is actually the coming back of Tilly. Of course, the coming back of Tilly is good, but she was then placed at the headquarter and not on the Discovery. And it felt a bit like, okay, we have to bring Mary Wiseman back. How do we do it? And I think the place where they put her and the bravery to be there, the last to hold the stand together with the Admiral, was a bit far-fetched, I think. Nevertheless, nice to see her back. I wonder if Stacey Abrahams, who plays the president of the United Earth, is just a cameo because she is a Democratic candidate and has almost no acting credits. I think they all were saved by the willingness and the realization by the Tensi species that they were doing wrong in their way to get their goals. They didn't oversee their collateral damage enough. Well, this is all filmed quite before the situation we have nowadays. 
And actually you hope as well that the people who are causing so-called collateral damage will also have an insight that they should stop what they are doing. Okay, thank you very much for this ride. Till next time, well, tomorrow probably, with Picard. And this will be all then. Greetings, Fred from the Netherlands. P.S. A little shout out to Spiderham Lincoln. I wish you all the best and a good recovery after your surgery. Yes, thank you for mentioning that, Fred. We wish a very speedy recovery to Spider-Ham Lincoln. Pete, uh, interesting the Fred pointed out, as, as others did, the kind of a potential series ending, you know, vibe to the end of the to the end of the episode. I, which made me wonder, uh, hearing Fred's words, did the show at some point in the writing, in the filming, you, you know, post-production, did the show think that it was ending? Um, because, I mean, we did get a later-than-usual official announcement. Now, sometimes these official announcements are months and months and months after, you know, convene the writing room, shh. But do you think at some point in the production of these episodes that since they did not have the renewal, perhaps, do you think that they were preparing for this to be the series finale? I don't know. I don't think that uh, it was a situation where they were being asked to wrap it up. I think you bookend it. Um, could it have served as a series finale? It could have in that they stopped in such a way as the human adventure is still continuing and we have all this and we've brought everybody back together. Um if they hadn't been shown the uh, confidence by uh, the studio, but we know that they have it. We know they're coming back for season five with 10 episodes. I also thought it was, it was poignant that Fred found meaning in this episode, not necessarily where it had intended kind of being a, a COVID commentary season, but, but Fred also found meaning in uh, the episode speaking to the continued human struggle for peace and stability. Yeah. And given that, you know, Fred is in the Netherlands, albeit a little safer than a lot of other people in uh, the continent right now with everything going on with Ukraine and the need again to, uh, you know, look beyond borders and to understand that interconnected nature in 2022. Well, Pete, we certainly have been privileged to have the support this entire season of those who go to patreon.com slash fantastic geek. Of course, more discovery conversation ahead next week as we look at the season as a whole. But uh, have to nonetheless mention here that uh, week in, week out, we've had that support and we appreciate it. Everybody who contributes gets uh, access to exclusive features and content. Get yourself over to patreon.com slash fantastic geek takes just a dollar a month to get you behind that door and to see what waits for you. Pete, the human adventure continues. The Star Trek conversation continues. How can people be in touch with you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 12,422 followers, can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter, it's looking back lost, do be in touch with the podcast, comment on fantasticgeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are fantasticgeek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. 
facebook.com slash fantastic geek with a ph all one word like it today so if you're listening on the discovery feed we of course will be back next week to wrap the season for those who are joining us for picard we'll be talking picard episode 203 tomorrow uh and all of it of course simulcast on the pop culture podcast feed which will have updates to those as well as strange new worlds and moon Knight in the near future with that pete I will say adios to all the listeners and give you the final season finale word. I'm already making a cocktail, Bobcat. <laughs>